Hello and welcome to episode number 484, yeah, 484 of Holy Rapid Sports. I'm your host Pete Davis here for hopefully the voice of the whole show. It is a Tuesday, September 13th of 2022, a beautiful day here at the Sandy Springs Podcast Center in Laundromat. Very autumn-like last night as it was, what, 62 degrees. Absolutely beautiful. By the way, if you want a t-shirt of Holy Rapid Sports, just go to farmhouseprintingco.com. If you'd like to write me a letter, davis one at yahoo.com. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, davis one And if you'd like to be a patron of the show, if you enjoy the show, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look up Holy Rapid Sports and appreciate uh, everything going on. Uh, first of all, uh, let's go. Headlines. The Braves lost again last night, so they're in a little tailspin right now. Kenley Jansen needs to move out of the closer role. We'll see if that actually happens. A former Braves pitcher dies a hero on the anniversary of 9-11. Same old Falcons, I hate to report. A breakdown of college football and NFL games, plus the first Pete poll of the season. Is Steve Spurrier a lot like Pete Rose? Is Jimbo Fisher panicking? Cam Newton almost went to college where? Uh, the ladies were wearing what or not wearing anything during the Utah game? And a sports book has already given up on the Cowboys. You got Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, uh, let's see, birthdays, all kinds of good stuff. And before we get started, I want to appreciate all the uh, thoughts and prayers you've been sending my way for the last few days. Uh, if you haven't heard, and I won't dwell on this too long because it's kind of clammy right now, is I was diagnosed Sunday morning with the covid of course, as the doctor said, there's like thousands of variants now, so you don't know exactly which one. If uh, she did know, she didn't tell me. Uh, so basically, let me just tell you, just for your own benefaction, if that's a word, I don't know, to help you in case you're feeling this or feeling that and you don't know whether it's time to go into the uh, doctor or not. Here's what happened to me. I think I know where I got it last week, but I don't know for sure because you don't know. It could be in anybody or anything. Uh, so, uh, last Tuesday I was around somebody who, uh, said they had been over the weekend with someone who had it. So the odds are that may be where I got it, but I don't know. You don't know. So I'm not going to say exactly where that was. It, it would have been ironic though. But anyway, uh, so Wednesday afternoon, I started getting a scratchy throat and a little scratchiness in my upper chest. Didn't think anything of it because the night before I had shut off the air conditioning. It was real nice and cool. So I shut off the air conditioning Tuesday night and left the windows up. So I figure I wake up, you know, next day and the next afternoon I got a scratchy throat. Well, you know, it could be anything. It could be ragweed. It could be it was a chilly, damp night, and that stuff kind of catches up with you sometimes. So I figured no, no big deal. Uh, and Thursday it was kind of a raspy throat, a little bit of a cough, and kind of you know discomfort in the chest, but no big deal. But by Friday afternoon and Friday night, I knew something was different. I started getting, you know, the chills and the clamminess and a headache and uh, saying, oh, that's not good. And then I started getting a little fever Friday night. Okay, this isn't, this isn't the uh, chill and damp and cold. But I persevered through Saturday morning and started feeling better Saturday afternoon. In fact, I felt so good Saturday afternoon. I thought I had sweated out and I was going to be fine. And by the time the sun went down Saturday night, boy, it, it, was, it was back. It was basically I didn't want to do anything. And you know me, I, I stay up and watch college football from noon to 2 a.m. Sunday morning. But about 8 o'clock um, Saturday night, I was through. I was ready to just go to bed. I was just tired. 
And the main problem has been the body aches. That's, that's the main thing that has been the problem of the whole week now. It's been the body aches and everything. Right now, I'm clammy. And I haven't been clammy in two days, but it just comes and goes. So Saturday night, it gets, I was so hot, I thought i got to go to the emergency room. Because as we're talking about, it's midnight now, and I'm just basically burning up. And for some reason, I talked myself out of it for whatever good or reason. I didn't want to go to the damn emergency room. So I went to, went to bed. Took Advil. And by the way, Advil helps a lot. Just a lot. But anyway, so I get up Sunday morning, and it's not any better. I'm just, you know, I'm cold and, and headachy and, and achy. So what the hell? I go to the Piedmont Urgent Care. And uh, she goes, well, it's either the flu or it's COVID. And I don't think it's the flu. And because I don't think flu season's really kicked in yet or anything. So they took the test. It took less than an hour for them. She called me and basically said, yeah, it's one of the thousands of variants. And she goes, it's Atlanta. With the airport, we're getting every variant from around the world coming in. It's just a matter of time before you get it. When I had it before, I, hadn't, I didn't have any idea I'd had it because I had the antibodies, didn't think I was sick. This time, it actually showed up and said hello and said, oh, you're going to know I was here this time. But uh, nothing you can't get past. It's just it's a pain in the butt to have a little touch of the flu, which is basically what it, lo- what it feels like is a, a weak flu. But here's what you should do. If you've got a, a scratchy throat, pay attention to it. If you have congestion in your chest, pay attention to it. Now, if you have trouble breathing, yeah, go see the doctor. Uh, but once you start getting chills, body aches, a fever, there's no reason why you shouldn't go to the doctor right then and there. Because the quicker you go in and the quicker they di- diagnose it, they can start giving you these pills that you just take over the counter. Uh, well, you take it anywhere if you want. You don't have to lean over the counter. And uh, you just take these pills, and they're antivirals. And if they catch it in the first five days, then they can give you those pills. If you wait too long and it's past the five days of when you started feeling the symptoms, when I was like on the fifth day when they found it, uh, I should have gone in Saturday. Uh, after that, I don't know what they do. If they send you to the, you know, the hospital or they, they, they basically send you home and say, wait and see at this point. I don't know. Put you on an ice flow and push you out. I, you know, I don't know what you do at that point. So they gave me that, and I've been feeling better. Every day I feel better and better, but it's only been a couple of days, but I've been taking the uh these antivirals i gotta take them all the way to thursday every 12 hours and and so the the key here is if you start getting the shakes or chills fever go into the doctor because the odds are you got something at that point don't just write it off like somebody i know who i will not name who continues to insist even though he was around me last week and has the exact same symptoms i do is insisting it was just something he ate so i won't say who that is but he's kind of stubborn, so whatever. And it only takes us a second to go to the dock in a box and get the test. Or hell, they'd give the test anywhere right now. So basically, what, that's what's going on. Uh, like I said, it's kind of like a weak flu. Uh, the worst thing has been the body aches, the clamminess. Uh, sometimes you feel like eating, sometimes you don't. When you feel like eating, eat. Don't put it off because it, you might at some point go, oh, I just don't feel like eating anything. Thank goodness, unlike most flus, I don't have I haven't been barfing. That's a little queasiness one day. That was it. But no barfing. Thank goodness. The problem with the, the viral medicine is that uh, it opens up the sluices at the other end. <laughs> That's one of the side effects of it. So there has been a little bit of that. 
including right before the show. But we won't get into the details of that. So I'm just saying right now. And one more uh, bit of advice. If they put you on the antivirals, make sure they don't interact badly with any medicine you're taking now, especially heart medicine. Make sure you go over your medicine you're taking with the doctor who's prescribing it and said, because basically I told, she goes, well, you can't take any of your heart medicine for a week. I said, that's, that can't work. I can't, I can't go without that one without feeling repercussions really almost immediately. And she goes, well, then you can't take the first one we give out. So let me give you the second one. So they have choices they can give you. So they gave me the second one and I went to the Kroger pharmacy. They did a great job. I'm, I'm talking to the lady behind the counter. I said, is there, how's the best way to check for interactions with drugs? Is it WebMD or whatever? She goes, I have an idea. Why don't we ask the pharmacist who's right here? And she was like smiling at the time. And she goes, he knows a lot about drugs. And she was kind of kidding with me. And I go, you know what? If he's not busy, <laughs> and she turned around and he came, he dropped what he was doing and came right over and spent about five minutes going over every drug I had. And the, and the weird thing was the antivirals I was taking had did not mess with me whatsoever or my drugs. The queasy medicine she had given me, he goes, no, 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 you don't need to be taking that at all. Uh, not with what you're taking already. So it was like, well, thank God I talked to the pharmacist. So talk to your doctor and also talk, talk to your pharmacist. It takes five minutes. And even check it yourself on WebMD if you want to. And uh, so there's my two tips. Go, to the, uh, go get tested early if you think you got the chills and the fever. And, uh, and also check with the doctor for whatever they prescribe you. But uh, it's not the worst flu I've ever had. The worst flu I ever had, I had a bad one in 1999 and another bad one in 2003, which ended up uh, nobody checked on me because I'd just broken up with a girlfriend. It was over Christmas between New Year's. I wasn't supposed to be at work. I'd taken the week off. I'd just seen my family, so they weren't expecting me anywhere. Uh, most of my friends were out of town for the holidays, so they weren't expecting me. So basically, I uh, basically sat at my house and almost died <laughs> because I stupidly didn't eat for two days because I didn't feel like eating. And next thing I know, I'm laying on the floor of the bathroom because it's nice and cold, and I had a fever. And I remember laying there, and I couldn't get up. I had not eaten in two days, and I didn't have the, the strength to get up off the floor. And I'm thinking, well, this is it. This is where they find me. And I remember my dog, Red, got off the bed. I remember him coming down the hallway and sitting down beside me and looking at me with these pitiful eyes. And I fell asleep. I pulled the towels down off the towel rack to stay warm, uh, even though I liked the cool, coolness of the, the tiles. And I woke up the next morning, and he had curled up behind me and spooned me the entire night, keeping me warm. That tell you what, dogs are an absolute treasure. I was Red the dog, and what a what a joy he was. So anyway, he's been gone about gosh, over ten years now. But anyway, uh, it's always good to have a big dog when you're sick because they will curl up and keep you warm, uh, or have three or four like I had at one point. They really do keep you warm. But anyway, that's a story. I'm sorry to go on too long with this, but it's kind of important. Uh, another thing I was going to tell you is uh, they don't care if you've been vaxxed or not. They, she didn't even ask. And you think, well, they'd probably change the treatment to whether you, you know, if you've had the vaccine and you've got stuff in your system already, that maybe they would change the medicine to, to go along with that. Or if you haven't been vaxxed, they give you a certain medicine because you didn't, because you need this or need that. Didn't even ask me if I'd been vaxxed or not. She just, you know, prescribed me uh, what they do. 
which is amazing. And, it's and like she said, it says with our airport and people coming in and out with the different variants from all over the world, it's just a matter of time for everybody is exposed, not just once, but two or three times at least. And uh, the only way to get around it is to move out into the country and not see anybody ever again. And she goes, for the most part, most people don't know it, uh, vaxxed or unvaxxed. Uh, sometimes they get a little sick, like in your case, you get a little mild flu symptoms. And then some people get really, really sick and have to go in the hospital. I mean, I, I can feel my voice getting a little raspy now. I'm not Chris Collinsworth, though. I'm not going to power through if my voice gets raspy. Like, I, I don't know why NBC and the major networks hate us by forcing Chris Collinsworth down our throat, not once but twice in the last week on national games, including uh, the the was it Sunday night, Tampa Bay win in Dallas, where Chris Collins were sounded like this the whole time. Nothing is more irritating than a broadcaster whose voice is gone. And this is why I don't understand. I know they're paying him a lot of money. I know they think the world of him. I don't. I'm over him. I'm tired of Chris Collinsworth. You telling me that in that 70,000-seat stadium they have in Dallas, that spaceship of Jerry Jones, there's not one person walking around there, one former player walking around there in the next booth that doesn't have analyst experience on television and couldn't walk in and take his place for one game or one half of a game. What the blank is NBC thinking by foisting him on the rest of us? His voice was gone. It was irritating as hell. I turned the sound off. It was so bad. I don't understand that there's nobody else that can fill that role, give someone else a chance, and let him rest his voice and come back in the next week. I don't understand it. It's unprofessional in my, my opinion. He should have pulled himself from the broadcast. I don't know if it was ego or what, whether he's feeling the pressure of Tom Brady maybe replacing him next year. I don't know. I thought Brady was going to go to Fox anyway, wasn't he? I don't know. So anyway, there's, that's the story. I appreciate everybody's uh, with the well wishes and all that. Uh, didn't do a show yesterday, us at the Kimmer show, uh, because uh, my voice wasn't to the point of doing it yesterday. Uh, I'm only going to do this show today. Couldn't do two shows. Tomorrow we're going to try and do a Kimmer show and probably have to do it by Zoom because I'm in quarantine. She goes, you can't go anywhere or be around anybody for a week. So I'm not, I'm not out of here until probably next Monday. So if we do any uh, camera shows this week, it'll by, be by Zoom. Apologize. Uh, this week is my fault if we're not doing anybody. It's because the voice is letting go. And uh, right now it seems to be holding up. So that's fine. But anyway, thank you very much uh, for all the good thoughts and everything, and I appreciate it. Uh, Braves have lost three in a row, this time falling to the Giants in San Francisco, 3-2 to two Monday night. Spencer Strider now 10-5. and five. He had nine strikeouts, but I think he gave up nine hits, too, nine or ten hits. Kenley Jansen struggles are one of the few weak spots the Bravos have right now. Well, outside of Matt Olson slumping and the whole team not hitting. I have no problem seeing Rasiel Iglesias become the closer. More on how bad that Kenley has been lately coming up in Pete's tweets. Surprisingly, the Mets have not truly capitalized on this tailspin yet, and they hold just a one-and-a-half game lead over Atlanta. I haven't been paying much attention over the weekend to the lead. I thought it would be around four by now, but it's just one-and-a-half, I guess. Meanwhile, some really sad news on 9-11. Anthony Vavaro, former pitcher who became a police officer in his native area of New York, Died Sunday in a car crash while on his way to work at a 9-11 memorial event in Lower Manhattan. Vavaro was just 37. The Port Authority Police Benevolent Association 
said Vavoria was struck and killed by a wrong way driver early Sunday. Doesn't say if the person was impaired. Police officer Anthony Vavoria will always be honored and never forgotten. Association head Frank Conti says Anthony's wife and four children will remain in our hearts and will forever be part of the PAPD family. Raised in Staten Island, Varvaro pitched for three seasons at St. John's College in Queens before he was drafted in 2005 by the Mariners. He reached the majors in 2010 with Seattle. And if his name sounds familiar to, do, to you, it should, because in 2000, uh, after that, 2014, actually a little after that, 2010, he spent four seasons with the Braves. Had a pretty good arm, if I remember. Uh, he ended his playing career in 2016 uh, for the Red Sox. Then went into law enforcement in 2017. Uh, the Braves said, We are deeply saddened on the passing of former Braves pitcher Anthony Vervaro. Played six seasons in the majors, including four in Atlanta. He voluntarily retired from baseball in 2016 to become a Port Authority police officer. He was en route to serve at the World Trade Center Command in commemoration of September 11, 2001, when he was involved in a motor vehicle accident. Our thoughts and prayers with the family and colleagues. In a 2017 ESPN feature, Vavaro said that while growing up in Staten Island, uh, up in Westerly, he was surrounded by civil service employees, teachers, nurses, and other members of professions that are pretty much dedicated to giving back. During his 2015 season with the Sox, said he was experiencing arm issues, felt his playing career was at a crossroad. Having submitted his name for a possible position with the Port Authority, he accepted a chance offered to him by the agency to join its police academy. Said when he was nearing the end of his training, he listed a preference to work at the World Trade Center complex in lower Manhattan. To be able to work at that specific location, going back to the day of September 11th, I feel like I'm honoring everyone who lost their lives that day. The Port Authority says that Vavaro represented the very best of this agency, will be remembered for his courage and commitment to service. Mm. Uh, let's see, Vavaro's wife, Carrie Thompson, is the grandniece of Bobby Thompson. The New York Giants player immortalized for a shot heard around the world home run in 1951. He, uh, uh, they had met in high school, high school sweethearts. Uh, service was held, uh, uh, sorry, moment of silence was held before the Mets and Cubs game. Uh, Mike Hampton, not the former brave Mike Hampton, but another one was the head coach of St. John's. He says he's had a loss of words. What an exceptional human being Anthony was. He was everything you'd want in a ball player. And a person. Unbelievable. Uh, the right-hander had an ERA of 3.23 over 166 Major League games. Best season came with the 2014 Bravos. Had a 2.63 ERA in 61 appearances. Like I said, he had a good arm. I liked his arm. The Red Sox said they're also deeply saddened by what happened. So very sad news. Anthony Barbaro passing away. A tragedy. And ironically, on 9-11. Good Lord. NFL news, well, I hate to keep doing <laughs> the news that isn't all that wonderful, but uh, Falcons got a Falcon, right? Uh, did anyone feel the birds had it in their bag with a 16-point second-half lead after dominating the Saints for most of the game? If you did feel confident, let me introduce you to the Atlanta Falcons because it's obvious you just moved here. Marcus Mariota's Atlanta debut, an unmitigated disaster and showed again why the former Heisman winner peaked in college and why he was benched by the Titans. A fumble inside the 10-yard line in the third quarter when all he had to do was slide, but he took a hit and he lost the ball. 
If they had scored a touchdown there, it would have been 30-10, to 10, and the game pretty much over, you think? <laughs> Instead, New Orleans outscored them 17-3 from there on out. With under two minutes left, the Falcons had a ball at midfield, uh, third and one. Just get the first down, you might be able to run out the clock because you still had the lead. But once again, Mariota drops the ball, literally on the handoff, and they have to punt. And Jameis Winston, who had been sleepwalking for almost three quarters, led the Aints to the game-winning field goal. Embarrassing and oh-so-typical. Another thing, uh, the Saints have a guy, a receiver on the team called Michael Thomas, who kills the Falcons, okay, throughout his career, just kills them. And basically, he wasn't even part of the game plan for the first two quarters. And it was almost like Dennis Allen, the head coach of the Saints, who replaced Sean Payton, suddenly looked down the, the bench and said, wait a minute, I've got Michael Thomas on my team. Why don't we start throwing the ball to him? And it worked. They made some great catches. you got to give it to the Saints. They made some great catches. And they had the medal to come back, so as much as I hate it. Anyway, anyway, it was the uh, same old Falcons. I had one idiot attack me on Twitter because I dared tweet the line about how bad they were and complain about Mariota. And he actually defended Marcus's time up in Tennessee uh, where he won nothing and his mistake Sunday. He defended those too. Uh, he said a smart person waits longer than one game to make assumptions. Uh-huh. Tell me, Einstein, how this looks any different than 90% of every start to every season the Falcons have ever had. Uh, can they turn this around? Maybe. For what, nine wins, first-round playoff exit, and mediocre draft picks? Mariota is only a stopgap, and everybody knows that. So, here we go. I'm, I'm going to do it. No more co quarterback controversy. I don't care if Mariota wins four or five games in a row. Desmond Ritter should be in there now. See what you got this year, and if he's the one to move forward with. Otherwise, the season sucks, and you got a great draft pick next year. I've seen enough of Mariota. Nice guy, fun to watch, but not a major winning quarterback on the NFL level. When the pressure's on, he folds. Same old Falcons. And I'm so tired of having to say that every year since 1969. Uh, and what kills me, you have people that have been here, well, what, 10, 20 years? I'm a longtime Falcons fan. No, you're not. No, you're not. I've been following this team since I was eight years old, since 1969. I've seen this uh, play, Mrs. Lincoln, a thousand times. You can see it from a, the train coming for the derailing a mile away down the track. But I sure I hope they turn it around. I still have faith that Arthur Smith and the new guy, the GM, might do something. But we'll see. Uh, meanwhile, Arthur Smith snapped at reporters post-game, saying he knows they've already written the team's obituary. And Jets sacrificial coach Robert Sala already cracking under the strain or trying to turn the Jets around. He called it exhausting. But he's keeping receipts of those in the media mocking them right now. We'll see. He'll have something to read on the unemployment line in a year or two. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if he can turn it around. Their quarterback isn't back for a couple more weeks. If that. Uh, by the way, imagine trading your future to the Seahawks for Russell Wilson, then paying him a fortune, then losing to his former team because you're not confident he can get a fourth down conversion. That's what happened to the Broncos Monday night in Seattle. They elected to kick a 64-yard field goal. Instead, it was no good twice. Now, Russell came out today and says it was the right decision to make. No, it wasn't. That's, that's who you bring in there. Who's the guy? Ryan Clark was on uh, Scott Van Pelt's show last night afterwards. And by the way, that suit was immaculate. I don't know what color, if it was teal or what it was. It was gorgeous. 
Uh, sorry, maybe I was just a fever talking, but I was like, I want to suit that color. But anyway, he basically says, that's why you went out and got a Russell Wilson for moments like that, and you sit him on the bench, and you try and kick a 64-yard field goal, and you miss it twice because they called timeout before the first one, which was at the first one. was at, uh, No, the second one was better. It kind of hooked away. But anyway, uh, and by the way, the Broncos – the first team in years to fumble twice on like the one-yard line trying to go in for a touchdown. It was very Falcons-like, to tell you the truth. You had to admire the incompetence. Uh, the Cowboys in a world of trouble. The overrated Dak Prescott is out for a month or more with a broken finger. Uh, they're now saying maybe not a month. Uh, they're 0-1 already. They look miserable at home and a loss to the Buccaneers. By the way, Tom Brady is a robot. So who does Dallas turn to to replace Dak? Cooper Rush? And I thought, who? Central Michigan's Cooper Rush, who was cut a while back. Uh, remember when the Cowboys had backups by the name of, I don't know, Roger Stallback? Or he flip-flopped with Craig Morton. Maybe they'd bring in that, was it Clint Longley they'd bring in at one point who came in and beat the Falcons in a damn playoff game or something? Or it was like an amazing comeback in the second half. They had Danny White for all those years. But they always had a great backup quarterback. Not to them, uh, Cooper rushes their backup because they have no room under their cap to get anybody else. They splurged and went for it last year, and they pushed the salary cap to its limits and beyond, and they had to cut payroll this year to fit under the caps and all that, and they are paying the price. Uh, I'm not going to go into details of it. You can look it up, just how many people they let go, and they are thin at so many, uh, like receiver and, and the line and stuff like that. They are really thin. They're going to have to find somebody else, but they're saying today they're not going to trade for anybody. So expect Mike McCarthy to have the moving van in front of his house before the end of the season, probably halfway. So how desperate are Cowboys fans? They're literally begging for Colin Kaepernick or Cam Newton. That's how now I can see bringing Newton in for a few games, but Kaepernick, I would love to see it, though. I'd love to see him come back and just suck. And speaking of Cam, he told Eli Manning on one of Eli's 14 shows that he almost went to Virginia Tech instead of Auburn. That's right. He was almost a Hokie. Why? Because he liked the color of the Hokies' uniforms. <laughs> but I guess they just couldn't come up with a big enough check. Uh, like, like Starkville, there's just not a million dollars floating around Blacksburg, I guess. Meanwhile, a sports book has already thrown in the towel about the Cowboys, allegedly. Uh, Points Bet announces that they are paying out people who bet on Dallas under of 9.5 to 10.5 regular season wins in light of the DAC surgery. 70% of the handle was on the under. That's a lot of jack to hand out after just one game, but it may be smart. If those bettors get their money now, they have all season left to blow it on other games and other bets. I have never heard of something like that. That's amazing. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, let me ask a question, and please write me, PeteDavis1 at Yahoo.com. Uh, who plays these games? FanDuel, Draft, Draft King. Do you make money on that? I've never really seriously looked into it, except for maybe the first year was around, and I looked into it a little bit, and I think I placed one bet or two. Uh, and then I just it, it got in trouble, and they were talking about a, you know making it illegal or some crap like that. And I just got you know I just got bored and didn't pay attention after that. But it, it's still around, so you got to think. Um, they got Kevin Hart as a spokesman. They're they're making some money, and that's the thing. The joke is basically, 
uh, I think the Onion put it out there, the Babylon Bee, that uh, DraftKings or FanDuel has a special going now where you can start off with $200 in debt. So, <laughs> But anyway, uh, do you make money off that, really? And is it easy to do? Because I'm, you know, I'm sitting around for the next week. I got nothing else to do. I have been trying to get some reading in uh, on that. Watching, I've been catching up on my shows. I sound like a middle-aged wine mother sitting at home watching her soap operas. Do they still have soap operas? Uh, but my stories, I'm watching my stories. And by the way, I started watching that Amazon thing. I watched the first episode of that Lord of the Rings thing. I don't know why everybody's bitching about it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. It's absolutely beautifully filmed. And I thought it kept my attention the entire time. And I don't give a shit if the hobbits are walking around with tan skin or darker skin or or the elves have pointy ears and look like they came from Botswana. I don't give a crap. It's fantasy. Who cares what they look like? That's just my opinion. Anyway, there's some things that are historically stupid. Uh, You don't see Shaka Zulu played by Paul Bettany. The guy who plays the vision, that let, the albino in, in the Da Vinci Code movie. You're not going to see Paul Bettany play Shaka Zulu. But it seems to be okay for, I don't know, uh, Idris Elba to be looked on as the next James Bond. That seems to be okay. Which, by the way, he would have been great if he was younger. But anyway, so there's some things that it is a little ridiculous. But um, this this Hobbit thing, give me a break. And by the way, they're not even Hobbits yet. That was pretty cool, I thought. Oh, by the way, there's also a few. Oh, wow, I'm watching this terminal list with uh, Chris Pratt. That's pretty good. I'll tell you what, it's ultra violent. It's, in fact, the scene last night. Whew, I think I watched the penultimate show last night where he's going around getting revenge. And I'm telling you, uh, Chris Pratt, who you've really seen in the, the uh, Parks and Rec as the goofy guy. And then you see Guardians of the Galaxy, where he has his moments there, but he's such a likable character. Holy cow, there are times where even Taylor Kish <laughs> is like, what are you doing, bro? That was pretty That was pretty raw. But it even made me cringe last night what he was doing to some guy. It literally made me cringe. And then it got worse. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, so that's pretty good. I've been watching that. What else have I been watching? I know I'm taking a little side here. Uh, his terminal list, the Lord of the Rings thing, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is the best written show on television. It makes me laugh out loud. Resident Alien makes me laugh. Those are the only two shows I literally laugh out loud while I'm watching it, sitting here on the couch. That is such a funny damn show. Uh, and there is what else we got? Uh, someone's beeping the horn outside. I'll be there in a minute. All right, I can't think of any of the ones that I'm watching, but there's several good things on both Netflix. Oh, Sandman, which is just the weirdest damn thing, but now I've started watching it, and I can't stop watching it. But it is, it's amazing to me. Watching the Sandman, I had no idea that the entire world was gay except me. I had no idea that just when they think they've had every brand of gay character you can think of, uh, they come out with another one. Like, uh, oh, today's episode, there's going to be a drag queen, and tomorrow's going to be a tranny, and then tomorrow's going and it's like, okay, I think you run out of the stereotypes, I think we've gone through most of the alphabet of the alphabet people, and then the next show, there's another one, but I've watched so many of them now, I want to find out how the freak it ends, I hope there's only one season of it, but we'll see, it's so crazy, 
It is not for everybody. I do not recommend the Sandman. It's just, you know, I'm one of those people that once I start something, by God, I'm going to finish it. Uh, especially when it's one of these stupid things. And there's a, But there's a couple other shows right now. Morbius is now on. Morbius is, a, if you're a comic book fan, watch it once. It's not a good movie. They really, I love that character. I love that comic book when I was a kid. They've screwed it up. Uh, but that wasn't Marvel. That was the uh, Fox people or Sony screwing that up, unfortunately. Uh, they even screwed up the post-credit scenes. They're the worst post-credit scenes in history. They managed to screw those up, too. So there's a lot on Amazon and Netflix to watch last night. And uh, after I take a nap later, I'm going to watch some more. All right, what else we got here? So please write me and tell me if this FanDuel DraftKings thing is worth my time. Uh, what else we got? College football now. I'm going to take a sip. What are we drinking today? I'll tell you what we're drinking. We're drinking Pedialyte, which, by the way, is wonderful. Uh, here's what I did. One of the smartest things I did. I always keep cans of Campbell's soup and Progresso soup around. My go-to when I was a kid is mom would uh, give us Campbell's cream of potato or tomato soup with Ritz crackers, and she always gave us Coca-Cola to settle our stomach. Uh, I didn't feel like Coca-Cola, so I've been drinking Gatorade. But I always bought, uh, during when COVID first started, uh, one of the doctors I have said, uh, go get you some Pedialyte. That's, that's for babies. She goes, no, no, no. It's also for adults, too. It's even better than Gatorade in replenishing you if you're sick. So I always have kept a big old thing of Pedialyte at home in case I got sick. Well, it actually came in handy. It actually worked. So I always have, you know, in case you, it comes on sudden, you don't want to get up and go to the store, uh, even though you can have it delivered now. That's cool. But get you some Pedialyte and some Gatorade and cans of soup and always have it there in case you get sick. And it has really stood me in good stead uh, so far. Uh, Pedialyte's actually kind of tasty, too. You're not supposed to cut it with Gatorade, but I, I do. College football news. Nick Saban says the reason star cornerback Eli Ricks did not play at all against the Longhorns was likely due to bad practices all week. Ricks transferred over to Bama from LSU, if you might remember. And after a woeful offensive performance and a 17-14 loss to Appalachian State, at what point do we realize that App State is made for things like this? Uh, one of the biggest upsets in Texas A&M history, Aggies coach Jimbo Fisher was asked on Monday if he would consider relinquishing play-calling duties. In time, I would, possibly could. You always evaluate those things. Uh, by the way, one of my biggest memories in college football I had driven up to Nashville in 2007 for the funeral of my funeral. Can't talk a funeral of my friend Jeremy Ferguson. Some of you might remember him from WGST days, and uh, just a brilliant person, not only on the air but behind the scenes. The, the best person, him and Jim Sly and Rob Scott, the best people to put together things for you. Uh, and uh, another man named Jim, I can't remember his last name, that they were all just brilliant people behind the scenes that could make you sound like anything and put together bits and stuff. And Jeremy had passed away in a car accident, and I was driving back, feeling sad from that, and I was listening to the college football games, and it came on. I listened to the end of that Michigan game, and uh, Jeremy was a graduate of Indiana, he had been to the big house several times with his best friend, who I, you know, I just seen at the funeral, and I, I know 
Jeremy would have loved to have been ribbing his friend for Michigan blowing that game to App State. And I remember driving back, and it actually made me smile. I'm thinking, God, I hope you're watching that game from above. And uh, anyway, so App State upsetting anybody, which they almost did in the first week of the season. Who, who was it, North Carolina? Or, yeah, I think it was North Carolina, wasn't it? Somebody like that. And then they go out to Texas A&M. I couldn't believe that, that they beat him. And they beat him. I mean, they ran right over them. A&M is 103rd nationally in total offense after gaining just nine first downs, 186 yards of total offense. Uh, App State had given up 63 points to North Carolina the previous week. And frankly, App State had scored 40 in the fourth quarter against uh, North Carolina. And you got to, if you're an Aggies, imagine this. You're an Aggies booster and you spend all that money, more than anybody on NIL. You got to be asking yourself, what the hell did I just blow my money on? Uh, anyway, let's see. Last season, the Aggies ranked 71st in total offense. That was just 392 yards per game, 88th in passing at 209, uh, and finished 56th in scoring offense at 29 points per game. They put up 24 fewer points in six games while stumbling to an 8-4 and four finish. Jimbo was asked to someone who has been calling plays since 1991 at Sanford. He later won national titles as the OC at LSU with Saban and later as Florida State's head coach if his ego would prevent him from letting go. No, he said, I'm always about whatever it takes to win. Winning takes all effect over everything. I promise you that. Fisher also said he possibly could consider a change at quarterback after starter Haynes King was 13-20 for 97 yards. Says there's multiple reasons for the offensive struggles, such as missed blocks or wrong routes. Said he would not pin all the issues on King. We evaluate everything this week. We will evaluate every position this week. Oh, boy. Well, let's see what else we got here. Meanwhile, quarterback Steven Garcia, uh, remember him? An interesting player for the South Carolina team a few years ago. Had one heck of an interesting head coach in Steve Spurrier. Not only was Spurrier one of the most legendary coaches in college football, but legend has it he has also had a knack for knowing the spread of the games he coached, according to Saturday Down South. Uh, Garcia says that Spurrier was keenly aware of the spread every time. Says at least the quarterbacks were always made aware that the spread was because Coach Spurrier would tell us. He was like, ah, oh, blank. They got us favored by 11 and a half points. Uh, says Garcia has a hilarious impression of Spurrier. Says uh, uh, there was a game which the Gamecocks were favored and ended up with a covered spread because of South Carolina's quarterback stepping out of the end zone for a safety. Garcia called that game controversial, though he was clearly joking about it. He did reiterate that Spurrier mentioned the spreads at every single pregame meal, though. Hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Keith Farner of SDS says that Scott Frost, of course, is no longer the coach at Nebraska. Uh, the former star player was brought in to revive the program. He was cut loose by the Cornhuskers. I don't know what Nebraska is going to do now. Uh, there's rumors that they're looking at Deion Sanders. and Deion Sanders is not going to Nebraska. Nebraska is in a tough position. The demographics have changed. The players want to be at, at flashier schools in flashier parts of the country. I hate to say that. Uh, if the if Scott Frost can't revive that, who can? Uh, I think they got a tough row ahead of them. It's a shame because I, you know, Nebraska being healthy and, and winning is is good for college football. I think. Uh, let's see. They lost to Northwestern in Ireland open season, and then they fell to Georgia Southern, and Georgia Southern beat them. And next week they play uh, at home against number seven Oklahoma. 
Mickey Joseph is taking over as interim head coach. He was the assistant head coach. Scott Frost was 16-31. and 31. Uh, Let's see. Uh, they came into the Georgia Southern game 214-0 when scoring at least 35 points at Memorial Stadium up in Lincoln. The second loss for Frost to a Sun Belt Conference team in five seasons. Wow. Frost was 5-22 and in one-possession games, which means he got outcoached at the end of games. And the Eagles of Georgia Southern piled up 642 yards. Oh, wow. And, and that's after Nebraska had 575 yards. They had, they've suffered an incredible 10th straight one-score loss. And they lost to former Southern Cal coach Clay Helton, who's now the coach there at Georgia Southern. Wow. Uh, if Nebraska had waited until October 1st to fire him, they would have saved $7.5 million in his buyout. Right now, Frost will get $15 million. And I have to say this. You have to applaud the class shown by Athletic Director Trev Albert to not save money at the expense of a former star player and son of Nebraska. I think that's, that's a stand-up guy. He could have saved $7.5 million, and he did the right thing because Scott Frost has done a lot for the university. Uh, police are investigating Clinton. There was a rumor yesterday that uh, Nick Saban's going to hire him next year to be an offensive coordinator and rehabilitate him. Because remember, Scott Frost did a great job at Central Florida. So, so a second. I had to use the old cough button for the first time. Anyway, uh, police are investigating claims that two women were spotted going topless at the Utah game, which the Utes, <laughs> you always got to think of that, uh, that movie, which the Utes won 73-7 to over southern Utah. Uh, the women were allegedly wearing nothing but body paint above the waist during the game. As one fan put it, we had children here. <laughs> okay, I cannot understand them. Uh, being Utah, I think they've already burned those women at the stake. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, bah, bah, bah. On this day, September 13th, in 1981, the Atlanta Falcons actually did something. They tied the record of 31 points in a fourth quarter against Green Bay. Uh, it doesn't say whether they won the game or not. Maybe we should just stop there while we're ahead. Uh, on the same day, John McEnroe won his third straight U.S. Open title, beat Bjorn Borg 4-6-6-2-6-4-6-3. It was Borg's last Grand Slam match. And remember at the beginning, Borg uh, beat McEnroe until McEnroe figured out how to beat him. 1987, Tampa Bay quarterback Steve DeBerg established a franchise record with five touchdown passes in the Bucks' 48-10 win over the Falcons. That's right, Steve DeBerg, which, by the way, pretty good backup when he was like – in his what you, in his forties when he backed up Chris oh God, Chris Chandler back in the Super Bowls years and stuff like that. Steve DeBerg was a good guy. He'd come overcome a lot of adversity in his personal life and turned it around and was a pretty good uh, backup for uh, Dan Reeves at quarterback and came in and played well for the Falcons when he needed to be. Uh, birthdays. Nineteen fifteen. Clint Frank was born on this day, September Hell's today, September 13th. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame as a halfback, won the Heisman Trophy in 1937 with Yale Bula Bula, born in St. Louis, died in 1992. 1945, Rick Wise was born. 
pitched from 1964 to 82, a two-time All-Star for the Phillies and the Cardinals and three other teams. He was a damn good right-handed pitcher. Uh, Once hit a home run or two when he threw a no-hitter. Born in Jackson, Michigan, but will forever be known as the guy that the uh, Cardinals traded uh, Steve Carlton for (laughs) because they were mad at Carlton. And he went on to become a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest lefties of all time in Philly. 1967, Michael Johnson, one of the greatest Olympians of all time. Uh, those golden shoes here in Atlanta in 96. Uh, was he a 200-meter, 400-meter runner? Uh, won two gold in the 96 Atlanta Games. Born in Dallas, Texas. 1968, Bernie Williams, Puerto Rican baseball outfielder and a great musician. Played center field for the Yankees. Born in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Also on the same day, Brad Johnson was born right here in Marietta, Georgia. Quarterback for the Vikings and uh, Buccaneers. Uh, 1968, Denny Nagel. <laughs> Can I do the... Hoo, hoo. I can't do the train whistle. That, that guy used to do it every time we interviewed him. You go, come on, Danny, do the train whistle. And he loved doing it. Uh, Denny Nagel, left-hander, was an all-star in the 90s. A couple times, nationally wins leader in 97 for the Pirates. He also played for the Braves, of course. Uh, born in Gambrils, Maryland. Good guy. 1971, Goran Ivanisevic, Croatian tennis player, won Wimbledon in 2001, was born in Split, Croatia. Uh, not the movie Split. Uh, 1980, on September 13th, Daisuke Matsuzaka, or Daisuke, Japanese uh, pitcher, born in Aomori, Japan. I remember him with the Red Sox. Isn't he the one that threw the gyro ball? Uh, 1982, Ricky Weeks, uh, baseball player, mainly with the Brewers, born in Altamont Springs, Florida. But he, he was really good when he first came up. And he just kind of fell off the map. Like all his, He lost it from one year to the next. I'm not going to say why. I don't know. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, dead people on September 13th. In 2005, we lost Tony Frisch. He was an Austrian uh, soccer player, but he was also a, a place kicker for the Cowboys, won a Super Bowl in 71, was a pro bowler in 79. He died of heart failure. He was just 60, kind of a, a rotund, squat, stocky kind of guy, but could kick the ball. Uh, also, in 2015, I'd forgotten about this, Moses Malone died, fo fo fo. Hall of Fame center, uh, NBA MVP in 79, 82, and 83. Uh, went to the finals, 12-time All-Star, played with the Rockets and 76ers and the Hawks. Died of heart disease. He was just 60. Unbelievable. All right, let's go to Pete's tweets here. And I'm trying to find what's going on here. There's some news breaking, but it's not. Also, another thing I've been watching is this whole thing about the Queen's funeral. And I got to tell you right now, it's been moving. What happened in Scotland was just amazing because they're, they're, they're wanting to break away now. It's been a movement for a while now. But they showed so much respect for her. And I've been watching that. I just can't. The BBC's done a, one, a fantastic job. It's wall-to-wall coverage. Every once in a while, they'll talk about Ukraine. Then they go right back to it. It's just amazing the people they interview. And there's so many touching scenes. And I'm not a monarchist or something like that. But I've said before, I don't mind if someone else has one. We're Americans. It's not in our DNA to have a king and queen. But we we appreciate if somebody else has it, especially the the English one. And, yeah, they've done a lot of bad throughout history. But, you know, whatever. Everybody has. So, anyway, and I say that as being part Irish. But there was a couple of things that stood out to me when the four – the three sons and daughters standing vigil behind the, 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 
in the St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh, which is beautiful. If you've never been to Edinburgh, it's just it's an amazing place. So many great people in the past went there and, and was around there. Voltaire, David Hume, uh, the great religious leaders, John Knox, and everything like that. That cathedral was a scene where one of the great Scottish guys, I forget it was John Dunn or somebody, or John Locke or somebody, actually confronted Mary Queen of Scots in the church. Uh, which has been shown in movies. It's a very historical church. My brother went and wanted to go in. For some reason, I didn't. I don't feel like going in that day. And I so I sat outside and watched the people. It was a beautiful day, so I sat outside. And I, I just people watched for an hour while he was touring the cathedral. And I sat there on that wall. And it was kind of embarrassing because there was a bunch of young people there and everything like that. And I was 52 at the time. And I went up the wall. was a little above my waist. And Mr. Papada, I'm going to bop up there and just jump up there. And I didn't make it. And I remember bouncing off of it and going, oh, wait a minute here. You can't tell me I can't bounce up on a wall anymore. And I looked around and a couple of the young guys were sitting there, you know, looking like, look at that guy. You can't get up on the wall. And I said, Dad, by God, I'm going to get up on this wall. And it took everything I had. But I got up on that wall on the next jump. And I was like, <sighs> but anyway, I sat there. And I was looking at the uh, the funeral thing the other day where they, they pull the car up and they, they get out. And I tell you, that casket must be heavy. There were six burly men holding that up and they were straining to hold it up. So that sucker must be made of lead. But anyway, um, they walked like within a few feet of where I was sitting. How That's just, just weird. Just weird. But it's a, it's a beautiful place there, St. Giles Cathedral. But I was watching the the views and they were talking to these ladies that had actually come up from London because they knew the lines were going to be too long in London. They only waited five hours in Edinburgh where it's going to be two days in London, they think. And the woman put it so well, she goes, we have to mourn our queen before we can celebrate our king. But the moment that really got me is some, you know, we've all probably lost parents at this point, is there was a young Asian man he was dressed to the nines. I mean, looked like a Tom Ford suit. He, he couldn't be 22. Long, long hair, young kid, looked like he was in a band, right? Perfectly dressed. And he's walking up, and he stops and looks at the casket. And his hand starts shaking. And he puts his hand in his pocket, and he pulls out a handkerchief, and he's crying. And I don't know why that messed with me, but it did. Mm. It's kind of stupid. You think about it. Because it wasn't my queen, you know. When I was a kid, I thought I was like Johnny Lydon of the Sex Pistols. God saved the queen and her fascist regime. By the way, he's put out a whole release, Johnny Lydon now saying how how it's horrible that she's passed away and what a wonderful woman she was, which just shows you when you're young, you do a lot of stupid things. And as you get older, you get smarter. And John, Johnny Rotten is a perfect example of that. He still like, looks like he's insane. I mean, come on, he's still got the face piercings and the crazy hair and everything. But if you listen to him talk, he literally could be on the old Fox News. He literally could be Bill O'Reilly's co-host. <laughs> it's just amazing to hear him talk now. But anyway, the scenes from, uh, from this have been absolutely amazing. And 
I just don't know why they didn't put her on a train from Edinburgh to London where the whole country could have lined up like FDR's train from Warm Springs to Washington or Lincoln's from Washington to uh, Indiana or Illinois where the whole country could mourn and pay respects. It's hard to pay respects to a plane flying overhead. I don't understand as much as they are into trains over there, much more than we are. Uh, you couldn't take a train everywhere over there. It's really cool. And I love trains. Uh, why they didn't do that? I don't understand that. But uh, supposedly she's back at Buckingham Palace for one more night. And then she goes to Westminster Abbey or someplace else. No, no. She goes to some other castle or something in London uh, tomorrow to lay in state until Sunday. And then they bury her Monday in Westminster Abbey, I believe, or someplace. I don't know where they put her. But anyway, ah, that's why I've been watching a lot of that, too. All right, what else we got here? Pete's tweets. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> All right, that was a joke. Somebody was a David O'Brien covers the Braves. Says Jansen's going to need to speed up the tempo quite a bit next season with the pitch clock in place. Because according to MLB, he's the slowest guy between pitches at 26.1 seconds. Uh, next up, Cardinals Giovanni Gallegos at 26. Then the Nationals Kyle Finnegan at 25.7. Giants Dominique Leone at 24.8. And the Phillies Andrew Bellotti at 24.8. Well, da, 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 I would expect him to play like that. And then, uh, I'm trying to find out more. By the way, Auburn almost beat Alabama over the weekend. Did you see that? The place kicker for Texas is named Auburn. That would have been a heck of a headline there. Okay. That was last week's AP Top 25. We'll get to the peephole in just a second. Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports says there's a circle of coaching life. Almost a year to the day Clay Helton was fired by Southern Cal, September 14th. His Georgia Southern program ultimately pushed Trev Alberts over the edge on Sunday to fire Scott Frost. Tom Brady is now 7-0 and against the Cowboys' lifetime. He's never lost to Dallas. David O'Brien posted this after the blown save in Seattle Sunday. In his past seven appearances, Kenley Jansen has three blown saves, two losses, an 11.12 ERA, a 1.94 whip. He's allowed seven hits, three homers, seven earned runs, four walks, and five strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings in that span. Mm. Mick Hodgins. Hodgins. Uh, nice to see the Falcons picking up exactly where they left off last year. There's more mystery about the outcome of a Harlem Globetrotters game than there is about a Falcons fourth quarter. <laughs> Uh, here's another one. Uh, usatoday.com wrote there are few aspects in life that are more reliable than the Falcons blowing a double digit lead in the second half it's a phenomenon that is truly immune to coaching changes and player turnover blown leads just happen because it's the Falcons so it's not just me everybody knows it uh, Mike Trout is one game away from tying the major league record of eight straight games with a home run all right. He's got seven right now, which has tied him with Joey Votto last year. Uh, Kendris, 
Kendris Morales in 2018, Kevin Minch in 2006, some cheater in 2004, and Jim Tomei in 2002. Ken Griffey Jr., Don Murderingly, and Dale Long all have done it in eight straight games. He went from 28 home runs to 35 in less than a week. <laughs> uh, NFL and CBS tweets that the Cardinals of Arizona have now lost six of the last seven games, including the playoffs, after starting last season 10-2. and I tell you, if they don't make the playoffs this year, the coach is fired. I can't even remember his name anymore. Uh, former Texas Tech guy. Didn't even deserve to get another job. CBS Sports says most wins by a starting quarterback in the first 10 seasons, including playoffs. Russell Wilson with 113. Peyton Manning had 112. Tom Brady, 111. Uh, By the way, do you know what the national animal of Scotland is? There was a big thing yesterday. Google it. Google national animal of Scotland. Uh, I'll save you the second, the time. It's a fictional animal. It doesn't exist except in Scotland. It's the unicorn. I'm not making that up. Uh, All right, here's the first peat poll of the season. Hold a second. Gosh, that cough button really comes in good stead. Another swip of the uh, pie, uh, Pedialyte. All right, here's the first peak poll of the season. You ready? Uh, number one, Georgia. Should have started the season, number one. Uh, number two, Bama. Uh, I know it's controversial. I barely have them over Ohio State. I think Texas is a lot better than people thought. Ohio State's number three, then Michigan number four. Uh, Clemson 5th, Oklahoma 6th, then you got uh, Southern Cal 7th, Oklahoma State is 8th, number 9 is Utah, and the top 10, Michigan State. After that, at number 11, you got the Hurricanes. Wait a minute, I think I'm going to sneeze here. Hold hold a second. Excuse me. You don't want to pass up a good sneeze because it clears the head. Anyway. I did not sneeze. That sucks. Number 12, uh, Texas A&M. Yeah, I probably should have dropped them further, but whatever. Uh, 13 is Arkansas. 14, NC State. 15, Florida. 16, uh, no, wait a minute. This is a mistake. 15 should be Kentucky and 16, Florida. Sorry. I got that backwards. I'll have to change that. Uh, 17 is B. Now, remember, I did this with a fever last night. I literally had a fever when I put this together, so obviously I was an idiot putting Kentucky, who just beat Florida in the swamp behind Florida. Uh, that was a mistake. Number 17 is BYU. 18 is Ole Miss. 19, Baylor. 20, Wake Forest. 21, Tennessee. 22, and Tennessee with a bullet. I predicted their win up in Pittsburgh. 22 is Pitt. Uh, 23, Wisconsin. And 24, Texas. 25 is Florida State. Snicker. Uh, David uh, wrote me to say uh, about Kenley Jansen, so your failure does not bother you or affect your confidence. Watching your bored expression on the field and in the dugout makes me want to punch the TV. You are in decline and in denial. Nice guy snicker not calling you on your blank is costing us the division, you prima donna blank wipe. There, now I feel better. He is. Jansen's almost single-handedly costing him the division right now. Uh, What else we got here? Desmond Howard. Uh, let's take a look at Desmond Howard's uh, playoff predictions from just two weeks ago. He had uh, Texas A&M, er, Pitts, now Texas A&M still has a chance. P- 
Pittsburgh earned uh, Michigan and Baylor earned. So not off to a great start there. The Paul Feinbaum show put out a great stat yesterday. Let's combine this through the first 50 games at Texas A&M. Let's compare Kevin Sumlin with Jimbo Fisher. Sumlin, 36 and 14. Fisher's 35 and 15. Now, Kevin had uh, that Heisman Trophy winner, the crazy guy at quarterback, Johnny Manziel. Uh, wins versus top 25 teams. Kevin was 9 and 11. Jimbo, just 7 and 10. Road games. Uh, Kevin, 12 and 5. Jimbo, 7-9, and and upsets when Texas A&M was favored as by Caesars Sportsbook. Upset losses. Sumlin had four of those. Jimbo already has six. Not a good look. Not a good look. All right, let's get to this because I'm starting to get clammy. Anyway, uh, this day in baseball history, September 13th in 1883, Cleveland's one-armed pitcher, you heard me, one-armed pitcher, Hugh Daly, no-hit Philadelphia, one nothing. The fireballing Irish right-hander uh, lost his left hand due to a gun accident early in his life. Uh, 1902, Johnny Evers, acquired to replace second baseman Bobby Lowe, who broke his ankle, joined shortstop Joe Tinker and first baseman Frank Chance on the Chicago infield, the first time the three Cubs infielders played together. Franklin Pierce Adams' poem, Baseball's Sad Lexicon, better known as Tinker's to Evers to Chance, immortalizes the legendary double play trio, even though everybody calls them Evers when they do it. Uh, September 13, 1909, Tigers outfitter Ty Cobb hit his ninth round tripper and inside the Parker to win the home run crown. The Georgia Peach hit 117 round trippers during his 24-year career. He led the league only that one season. 1933, White Sox veteran hurlers Sad Sam Jones at 41 and Red Faber at 44 are the starting pitchers in a doubleheader split with the A's at Philadelphia's Scheib Park. It will be another 53 years, but for another pair of 40-plus-year-old teammates, the Yankees' Tommy John and Joe Necro start both ends of a twin bill. Let me take another sip of some Gatorade here. Oh, yeah. Uh, 1936, Indians teenage phenom Bob Feller sets the new AL record, struck out 17 batters, two hit the A's at Scheib Park. After the season, the 17-year-old will return to his Van Meter, Iowa home to graduate from high school. 1938, Alexander Cartwright inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, the alleged inventor of baseball, which probably wasn't. 1940, isn't he the reason they put the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? Thank you. I don't care if he didn't do it. That's a perfect place for Cooper's, well, for the town and the Hall of Fame. You got to go if you're a baseball fan. You got to go at least once. It's like if you're a Muslim, you got to go to Mecca. If you're a baseball fan, you got to go to Cooperstown. 1945, only 281 patrons are in attendance at Crosley Field to watch the hometown Reds beat the New York Giants 3-2. The crowd on the Thursday will be the smallest gathering of fans during the 58th history of the ballpark. Doesn't say why. Anyway, uh, of course, the season was winding down. I guess the Reds weren't all that good that year. 1948, Indians right-hander Don Black, while batting in the second inning at Cleveland Stadium against St. Louis, suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. He's rushed to the hospital in critical condition. The 32-year-old hurler will survive, but his major league career is over. I did not. I never heard that one before. 
September 13, 1951, at Sportsman's Park, the Cardinals split a three-team twin bill. That's right. They beat the Giants 6-4 in a rescheduled afternoon game due to rain the day before. And then the Redbirds are blanked by the Braves in the regularly scheduled night game 2-0. The games marked the first time since 1883 that a three-team twin bill takes place. 1958, Milwaukee Braves' Warren Spahn is the first lefty to win 20 more games nine times. He joins, I think, Eddie Plank, uh, or he passes him. Yeah, he passes Eddie Plank and Lefty Grove. 1965, at the Astrodome, facing Don Notabart. Notabart. He's not a Bart. Uh, Giants outfitter Willie Mays, the fifth player uh, to get 500 homers. The Say Hey Kid hits a league-leading and career-high 52 dingers and route to a second MVP season. 1995, Tigers second baseman Lou Whitaker and shortstop Alan Trammell appeared in the same game for the 1915th time, setting an American League record for joint appearances. The Detroit middle infielder surpassed the mark established in 1990 by Royals teammates George Brett and Frank White. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Whitaker belongs in the Hall of Fame. 2002, the U.S. Senate passes uh, a resolution honoring Tiger broadcaster Ernie Harwell, planning to retire at the end of the season. The 84-year-old had been a Major League Baseball announcer for 55 years. And his final game, he lifted his fist up and shook it to the heavens and said, Damn you, Vin Scully. No, he didn't do that. He was a gentleman. Uh, September 13, 2004. Uh, Okay, a better line there would have been, if you're a history buff, you know what this means. Uh, he, He lifted his fist up and said, Yet Scully still lives. <laughs> the, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were friends. They helped write, you know, get everything together for our founding fathers and republic. Brilliant men. Two totally different men. One from Boston and one from uh, Virginia. Couldn't have been different people. Later became bitter political enemies. You think we have some bad political mojo going on now? Go back and study the election uh, between Jefferson and Adams, which I think Adams won the first time, Jefferson's won, won the second time. Adams was our second president, Jefferson our third. And they, for decades, hated each other's guts. But as they got older, they started writing. I don't know who started it. And if you, you watch the Adams thing Tom Hanks did on HBO, which is brilliant. Paul Giamatti is John Adams. Really, it's just brilliant. It's, I don't know who started the correspondence, but one wrote to the other, and they started uh, a correspondence by letters for years with each other and became friends again. They still had differences in opinions, but they came, became friends in their letters, and it was very touching to read. And amazingly, they, well, I think they both, uh, let me check this out. Alexa, what date did Thomas Jefferson die? Thomas Jefferson died on July 4th, 1826, yeah. at the age of 83 years. Thank you. Yeah. They both died on You're July. Welcome. Thank you. They Shut up. Alexa, shut up. Jeez. Anyway, they both died on July 4th. Imagine that. In 1826, was it? This is what she said. 1826. I'm not going to ask her again. She so won't shut up. Uh, they both died on July 4th. How weird is that? I think both knew the other one was kind of sick because they were both in the 80s, I think, at that point. But neither one, but Adams died on his deathbed. I think he said, yet Jefferson still lives. There was still kind of a little rivalry there. 
And it turned out Jefferson had died a while before, just a few hours before. But, of course, back in 1826, there's no way of getting the news. It, it took, what, a day or two to get the news by horseback down there or to either side, probably longer than that. And he, went, he died thinking that uh, Jefferson had beat him when he had beaten Jefferson. I think it's that way it worked. And it's just amazing that they both died on July 4th. But anyway, that was the whole reason behind the joke about Scully and anyway, let's move on. Uh, 2004 at Oakland's Network Associates Coliseum or ONAC, a female fan suffers a broken nose, facial lacerations, and a possible concussion from being struck by a plastic chair thrown by Rangers reliever Frank Francisco. The fight between fans and several of the players occurs in the field box seats between the dugout and the bullpen. Occurs with two outs in the ninth after Texas's Alfonso Soriano's second homer of the game ties it 5-5. to five. Uh, Thanks to Saturday Down South, ESPN, On This Day, National Pastime, and The Washington Post for helping out with this lovely show today and everybody else I mentioned during the thing. Let's uh, check and see if we missed anything on Twitter. Uh, appreciate you putting up my voice. Actually, held out the entire time. So that was that's pretty cool. Appreciate that. Once again, appreciate all the thoughts you've sent my way. It has really, really helped. By the way, the Ole Miss-Georgia Tech game is a trap game for Ole Miss. Uh, Tech had a good game against Western Carolina and won. It's a home game in Atlanta. Uh, Ole Miss has won two easy games against Cupcakes. Uh, they're coming in here. They don't know which quarterback. Uh, Kevin says he doesn't know which one he's going to start yet. You know damn well he does. Uh, could be Altmaier. Could be Dart. Dart. Uh, this is one of those games that they could come in here and, and just lose to a team they should beat. Ole Miss is better in, in Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech, it's one, it just screams upset at this point, and I don't like it. No, sir. Sorry, Tech fans. I just don't like it. The best don't understand that, so we'll just keep moving. Um, no, no, I'm not seeing a lot jumping out here. Uh, oh crap! The Dow is down a thousand points. Damn! What's up with what the hell's going on? I'm not going to ask her. She'll just keep talking to me. Uh, I'm not seeing anything else jumping out. So what we'll do. Oh, there's one more thing I wanted to mention. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you go on the Facebook where it shows you different news stories and something like that, there's been every day since the queen died, two stories at least praising Meghan Markle and saying that the royals are treating her badly. They jerked the flowers out of her hand. They're being rude to her. They're ignoring her. That, that, gold-digging, hussy, no-talent bitch is using the week of the queen's death to improve her brand and try and get sympathy by making up bullshit and her PR people are spreading this around. It's the same bullshit that puts Chrissy Teigen in People Magazine every damn week when no one gives a shit and no one gives a shit about Meghan Markle anymore. It's about a bunch of people who are too stupid to see through the fact she is a gold-digging bitch and... It's, and, and, yeah, I know the roles can be cruel as hell. The, what they did to Diana was extremely cruel. Uh, that was mostly Charles's fault, and the Queen was part of that as well. And I think it was Prince Philip was kind of the hero in that thing. If you watch The Crown, Prince Philip tried to keep her on the straight and narrow, and it didn't work. And he tried to keep the others from 
treating her badly and it just didn't work and at one point diana was just so out of control he just threw his hands up if you believe what the tv show is but anyway this megan markle is absolute just the worst of the worst just a conniving scheming little c-word and she seriously has her PR people out there every day. There's two or three stories about, how oh, she's being treated so rudely, blah, blah, blah. Bitch, you are lucky they let you back in the country. I mean, this is the United States of America. You don't have the same freedoms there as you do here. They did not have to let you back in. In fact, uh, they have something called the Tower of London. I think that would make a great place for her to stay for the next few days. Just my opinion. It worked for... Uh, and Bolin kept her out of trouble, didn't it? Just my opinion. We welcome yours. I just, I just hate people who, who take tragedies, or not tragedy, but sad moments, and try and turn it around for their benefit. And that's exactly what she's doing. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, ba ba ba. Uh, T.J. Watt does not need surgery. He's out six weeks with his torn pec or whatever. Guys, he's hurt all the time. But remember, the Falcons could have drafted him, but they decided Dimitrov thought he'd go after that uh, dipshit from UCLA. I won't even mention his name. Um, the Cardinals' turf played a role in Chiefs' injuries, according to Andy Reid. Well, that's weird. They supposedly had the state-of-the-art turf out there in Arizona. Uh, Dak will not go on the injured reserve list, so we'll see. Anyway, thanks once again, everybody. Appreciate it. And uh, we will try and do a camera show tomorrow. Don't know exactly what, what how we're going to do it. If not, well, I don't know what we're going to do. But I will try and be back Friday with another Holy Crap at Sports and uh, for the preview of the uh, weekend football games. We'll get into that uh, as well. Didn't get into all the uh, – college games that I wanted to this this week because you know you don't want to push it first uh, first one back and I want the voice to start going so anyway thank you very much everybody uh, stay safe remember what I said if you if you start getting chills and a fever go get tested because the quicker they catch it the easier it is to fix it's an, it, it's, it is anyway uh, everyone have a good one and uh, if you're allowed to which I am not this week drink up Shriners <laughs>